0: Welcome to New Sound Church's weekly podcast. We are a church located in Palm Beach County, Florida, and we are so glad that you're listening to this week's message from our pastor, Pastor Josh Mott. For more information about New Sound Church, you can visit our website at www.newsound.church and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to New Sound. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh Monty and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor. And man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Makes me want to charge hell with a water pistol. <laughs> if you are uh, maybe just brand new checking us out, um, I need you to know that we are so honored that you're here. And, So many cool things happening in the life of the church and you may not know this is just a little Little 18 month old little baby church plant And uh, I remember when we were trying to decide where in the world to go to plant a church We we talked to a lot of people and they said man stay in the bible belt It'll be easier and uh But I just kept praying and I just knew, I knew it was this community. And um, it hasn't been without its challenges. But as you look around the room and then you see that team that's all just volunteers, just serving where God's made them a 10. You think only he could have done this. If you ever wonder why this is growing the way that it's growing and why things are happening the way they're happening, It's not us. We know who we are. And so we're so honored that you're here. And I just pray that over the next few minutes that we have together, as we get into God's word, that he would speak to you in a way that's new and fresh and different than you thought possible. I remember the first time I walked into church and I had all these preconceived notions about what was going to happen. Nobody's going to do anything kooky or spooky or weird today. But I'm going to tell you, you found yourself in the middle of a room of people that are crazy about Jesus. I invited a lady to church the other day and she said, oh, no, I'm not religious. I said, you'll fit in great here. (laughs) Because I'm the pastor and neither am I. And today, whatever you thought this might be, my prayer is that we're gonna pray and I'm gonna say, God, hide this pastor and show yourself that he would speak to you. And this is how you would know that it was the Holy Spirit speaking to you and not me. That he would whisper things into your spirit that never came out of my mouth. And you would know, man, that's God today. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for today. We give you everything we've got today because you gave us everything that you had. And Father, will you speak today? We know we've got people coming from all different walks of life, all different seasons. But right now, God, we need desperately to hear from you. We love you. We thank you for today. Bless this time. We need eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts ready for change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Again, welcome. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, now we're in the second week of a series that we've called uh, Running with the Giants. It actually came from a book that a guy uh, by the name of Dr. John Maxwell wrote a bunch of years ago. And I read it and I loved, I loved the concept. And it was built around this set of verses in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so in this verse, the, the idea, and, and right at the very beginning, it says, therefore, because right before that, it's listing out this hall of heroes of the faith and saying, man, they are watching us. And what would it look like as we're running this race called life, if these heroes, if, if Noah could, could step out of the stands and walk down and speak to you, if, if David, who, was king, and the Bible says, a man after God's own heart, but not without his own imperfections and shortcomings. What if he could step down out of the stands? And as you're running this race of life, what if he could step down and speak to you to, to give you some advice based on the things that he learned and, and, the, and the decisions he got right, and the, and the stuff that he blew, and the things that he got way way wrong. See, I believe this. I don't think that you have time to do everything God has for you and insist that experience is your only teacher. So I think we've got to actually look to uh, great men and women in our life, but we also really have to look to the scriptures and go, how did they handle these situations? We do a thing on Tuesday nights called Leadership Academy. We've got 62 people going through this program and it's a ton of work. They're working their tails off. They're learning leadership development, and they're learning theology, and I mean, it's a lot of work. They're writing papers and all that. It is not, it is not for the weak of heart, but they're doing a great job. And I told them, when you look to Scripture, uh, and anybody that you ever hear teach, you, you need to understand, like, the first thing you have to ask is, what does the Bible say? And then the second question you always have to be willing to ask is, then what does it also say? So we can't just take one thing right out of its context and make it mean whatever we want it to mean. And then when we find a verse that deals with a specific thing, then I will say the Bible says. But there's a lot of things that you and I run into that the Bible didn't address specifically. It didn't say anything about sending hateful emails. There's nothing about the internet mentioned one time in there. But, but we have a lot of principles that we can look at to figure out how to handle life. And so then we will say this. We'll say... If we have the verse, we'll say, the Bible says, if we don't have the verse, but we have a bunch of verses that point to a principle, we'll say the idea is, or the principle is. And then sometimes when we can't find the verse and that's specific, we can't find enough verses to create one idea. Sometimes you're going to hear me say it in this way, I believe. And that's when I'm just giving you my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. Because in this church, you have the right to be wrong. So you don't, you don't have to agree with me. And so people ask me questions all the time they want to know. I mean, it's like, is my pet going to go to heaven? Well, the Bible's not like super clear. There's some verses, but to be honest with you, like, I'll have to give you like, I believe, I believe, I believe. Now your dog, there's a chance, your cat, there's no way, there's no way. They're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. You need to know this if you're a cat owner. If it was big enough, it would eat you. When you wake up and your cat's looking at you and you go, oh, that's so cute. He's just sizing you up. Just thinking, man, I hit a little growth spurt. And so this series is based on kind of a I I believe, okay, that what would it look like if these heroes of the faith could step down out of the stands and say something to your situation? Today, I want to take a look at the life of a man named Abraham. Now, you might, if you grew up in in church, or maybe you didn't go to church much, but your parents, um, you drove your parents crazy, and so at least for one week out of the summer, they sent you to vacation Bible school just to get you out. And if that was the case, then you heard this, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, right? You remember that? I am one of them, and so are you, right? Let us all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, bow your head, turn around. Right? That was it, right? That was it, right? So you know now why I'm not on the worship team. So Abraham is an interesting story because at this point in his life, he's an old man. He's, He's actually been around for a long time and he's been trying to have kids and he's just not gotten any breakthrough. And then God shows up. And if we had an idea for the message today for when you don't understand God's ways, when you don't understand God's ways, this would be the idea. God always does the right thing. Now let's look at the story in Genesis chapter 15. Now Abram, okay, so God will later change his name. And I think when God when God gets a hold of your life, he's always going to change your name. Now we may not physically go by a new name here, but he calls you son now. He calls you daughter now. He calls you priest now. He calls you co-heir now. He calls you redeemed. He calls you righteous, even though you're a mess. He calls you a new name. And I'm thankful that he gives us new names to step into a new identity. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Elizer of Damascus. So this is a servant that lives in the house. And Abram said, you have given me no children, which in that culture and in that time, they believed that they were under some kind of a curse. So a servant in my household is going to be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now this is a crazy thing. I mean, the, the amount of kids you're gonna have are gonna outnumber the stars that you can see. And this is a guy at this point is an old man past the age of even being able to physically have kids. His, his wife is old and the Bible even tells us later she's tired. And, and then God says, I'm gonna do something because I want the world to know that it was me that did it because it's not gonna make sense on paper. And this Abram was called to leave the place where he was comfortable, to move into this new place that God had for him. And he had to take God at his word. And I imagine there was day after day after day and week after week and season after season where he began to doubt the goodness of God. Because he's got to be going, God, how can you tell me that you love me? You've given me riches. You've made me very successful in the world's eyes, except you have given me nobody but a servant in my house to inherit all that you've allowed me to build. And God said, I'm doing a new thing in you. And I would say it again, God always does the right thing. In fact, I would say it like this. God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. Now, for some of you, and I've been in those seasons where I thought, man, God, you must have remembered everybody else in the world, but you've forgotten about me. And sometimes we get frustrated with God because we thought, man, I thought I would be further along at this point in my life than I am right now. And it's taking too long. I heard a preacher say one time, we live in a microwave generation, but we serve a crock pot God. Come on, somebody. Somebody. That's what, when you were, if you were in the church where I come from, then the pastor would say, touch your neighbor right now. Say, "Crockpot God. Touch your neighbor. Touch your neighbor right now. We're not going to do that. Don't you touch your neighbor. You leave them alone. They didn't do anything to you. Touch your neighbor. They're always doing that in church. What if you were in the movies and they just stop? Touch your neighbor right now say, what happened to Black Panther? Like, it would just, did he really disappear? Like, it just it'd be weird. Genesis 16. Let's get back to the Bible. Y'all are distracting me. Now Abraham's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed. When things happen outside of our timeline, what happens is we get tempted then to take matters into our own hands. And we get stressed that things haven't broken through in the way that we thought that they were going to break through. And this is the point where we begin to compromise in our integrity and in our principles because we're going to try to make it happen. So we said, man, I'm going to wait till I'm married. But at the, man, I thought I was going to be married at, already and I'm still not. And so, man, I'm just going to do things now that I had promised to God that I would wait on but because I'm getting frustrated, and so I'm just going to take matters into my own hands, that's when we actually kind of fudge a little bit on the resume. We put the real resume out, like, originally, uh, but people just weren't super impressed with your, you know, underwater basket-weaving degree, and so now, like we're, we're, like, we're an aquatics container engineer now, like... <laughs> And so we start to modify the truth. We start to take matters into our own hands so we can get the job. We begin to kind of uh, manipulate. We, we start telling little half truths instead of whole truths and just whatever we can do because we're beginning to stress that we thought we'd be further along than we are at this point. And we start to take matters into our own hands. And in this case, Abram has decided, God, I just can't trust you. This is After God has already spoken the promise of descendants outnumbering the stars in the skies. And after that promise has been given, he's still taking matters into his own hands. Insisting on doing things his way. Stress is worrying about things you don't have authority over. If you can change it, then change it. If you can't, stop worrying about it. If you can't do anything about it, you're taking responsibility for something for which you have no authority. God's job is the harvest. That's why the Bible calls him the God of the harvest. So his job is the harvest. Your job, don't quit. Your job is just don't quit until there's fruit on the vine. But a lot of times when it takes too long, we get frustrated and we bail. God always does the right thing, even if it seems absurd. Even if it just seems crazy. In Genesis 18, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, like I'm exhausted and having kids is a young man's game, my master is old. Well, I now have this pleasure. Like, okay, now you're going to give me, I'm at grandma age and now I'm going to have a newborn. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I surely have a child. Now that I'm old, and this is what I want you to hear, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Isn't it interesting that in this faith that we claim to have, that Christianity is this, very summed up, that there was a creator, because I don't believe that random molecules banging together in the cosmos can create all of that we see, I don't have that kind of faith. So a creator made things, but he had to make things with the ability to choose. And then when he made things with the ability to choose, they chose to reject because you can never actually choose to love God if you didn't have the freedom to choose to reject him. And then God created a plan for redemption, that his plan was to send Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life because only an eternal thing could save you eternally. And the eternal thing stepped into time and space, lived a perfect life, and then was beaten and crucified and hung on a cross. And the Bible says three days later, he got up from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave forever. And then now he sits at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. That's Christianity. (laughs) Summed up. But you having a baby, God, that's just a bridge too far. Like, I get it. Like, you can do aardvarks, um, and ant eaters and you can make all that stuff and you could make photosynthesis and you could create rivers and lakes and mountains. But me having a baby, I think that's just a bridge too far. And isn't it interesting that we have a, a faith that is built on the radical belief that one died for all, but that God wouldn't do for you. So he may do things that are outside of your way of doing things, But he can do it. And your Bible isn't a book of exceptions. It's a book of examples so that you can hold on to those promises, not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for you. God always does the right thing, even if we don't understand. Even if we don't understand, God is doing the right thing. Later on, we find this instance where God asked Abraham, he was testing his faith, and he said, I want you to take your son up to the mountaintop and sacrifice him to me. Now, he stays his hand before the execution happens, um, but he just wanted to see, are you gonna take me at my word all the way to the finish? And in Hebrews 11, it, it says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And even though God... Had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Like, he's like, I don't get it. Like, God, I've already kind of proven that I'm your guy. Like, I'm going to stick with you through thick and thin. But, like, if this is just one more hurdle I've got to jump through, I'm okay with that because I don't need to understand everything that you're doing to trust you. In fact, I get really scared when you can fully get your mind around the God that you claim to serve. I don't want a God that I'm smarter than. And so sometimes he's going to do things in ways that I wouldn't do them. He's going to, he's going to act in ways that are outside of how I would act. And Isaiah actually tells us that. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I'm just not going to do everything your, your way. And for some of you, let me say this. If you're struggling right now with a belief in God, and maybe you're struggling because of questions like, well, I don't understand why this happened to this person, or I don't understand why, you know, there was an earthquake, or I don't understand why, you know, all of this seems to happen in the world. Why do bad things happen to good people and all of those things? Could I could I ask it to you in this way? Let me ask it to you in this way. And then, <coughs> excuse me, and then really wrestle this to the ground. Like really ask your, just think about this. Would you say in all of the history of the world that you have um, 10% of all the knowledge that's ever existed in the world? Now we met in the lobby. I think that's real. It's comfortable. I'm comfortable in saying that you do not have that much information. How about 1%? of all the knowledge that's ever existed in the history of the world, 1%? Okay, how about like 0.0000001%, 0. 000 right? Is that you, maybe? I still think we're rounding up, but for, for argument's sake, what if we said you have 1% of all of the knowledge in the history of the world, 1%? Is it possible then, logically, that God is operating with information that is in that 99% that you don't know yet? And isn't it interesting that in the moment that we don't understand God, the problem is with him? Instead of my 0.00001% of knowledge, instead of us having the humility a lot of times to say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I trust you, and even though it's weird, I'm gonna lean in. We go, I don't understand what's happening, so what's wrong with you? Even if we don't understand, I need you to have the confidence in knowing God is always doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. So if Abraham were to come out of the stands and walk down to me and to you and give you just a couple of bits of advice, just some words of encouragement, he would come down, his super legit beard, flowing in the breeze. (laughs) And I think he would give us a couple thoughts. He would say first, hey, don't, don't make earth your home. Don't make earth your home. The great theologian, Hank Williams Jr., said, no matter how I struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. This isn't home. And in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, speaking of Abraham, he made his home in the promised land look like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him, of that same promise, for he was looking forward to the city, look at this, with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He said, listen, God, I'm not even going to waste time building a house because I know the one that you have for me in the life that comes after this is better than any mansion, any palace, anything that I could construct. I'm not even going to waste time. I'm just going to stay in a tent And I'd rather be in the place that you promised, believing for the promise, than taking matters into my own hands and doing everything my own way. Don't make earth your home. Then I think you would say this, hey, listen, when you start to get a little scared about how things are gonna work out, how about you live then with an eternal perspective? The Bible says your life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's just in the great expanse of time that we're here for just a moment and I think Abraham would look at you and say listen as an old man when God spoke to me about all that he could do in and through somebody like me I thought I won't be alive to see all of the promises that God has for me come to pass but I'm not living with today in mind, I'm living with forever in mind. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this week and he was telling the story of a guy who played um, Monopoly um, with his grandmother and um, she was ruthless. Any OG grandmamas up in here just, just making just some dirty deals on the side, you know, just stealing money from the bank or whatever you do. And, and he said, all the time, he said, my grandmother, just wear me out in Monopoly. And I just wanted to beat that old woman so bad I couldn't stand it. And he said, finally, uh, one day, it just all came together. I got boardwalk and Park place. And I had hotels on the things as fast as you could build them. Double overtime, get them up. There wasn't a place that she could land that I wasn't going to get her money. And I won, and I got all of her stuff. And very unceremoniously, as the game ended, she folded the board into that V and took all the stuff, all of this that I had built for me, and she just put it back in the box. And he said, this thought washed over me. I'd worked so hard for so long to beat her in this thing But in Monopoly and in life, it all goes back in the box. And I feel like so often we are working our tails off on stuff that will disappear, temporal and be gone. Because we forget that it's all going back in the box. Ownership is a myth. We're just middle managers. So live with an eternal perspective. That's why it's easy for me. I think sometimes we wrestle with the idea of, of giving and, and resources and how we handle that. And we've done a really good job in the 2019 era of church in America, where the second that you bring up finances, you're like, Ethel, get your purse. I knew it. That little redneck boy just wants our money. I swear. If those ushers come by here, I swear I'm going to give them a dirty look. I will look at them. Wish they would put a bucket in my face. (laughs) Giving for me is easy because it's in that moment that it outlives me. Because everything I do for me dies with me. Everything I do for him lives past me. Because I know that it all goes back in the box and I'm just a middle manager. So living with an eternal perspective. Hebrews 11 says, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, he's an old man, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. But if you're struggling with that today, let me give you this thought. I think Abraham would say, Remember what God has done in the past to hold on for the future. Sometimes I think we get a little short-sighted because we think, you know, God's forgotten about us, but if we really were to get honest and we were to pull out that notebook of all of the times He saved us from us, all of the times He's shown up in ways that we never could have deserved, we never could have earned. Sometimes it's just that reminder that when I was at my wit's end, lying on my bed, crying about how all of this was going to come together. He showed up and was faithful to bring a breakthrough when I couldn't see a way out. And when you find yourself in a difficult situation, when the job isn't coming, when you thought it was going to come, when the relationship hasn't shown up that you thought you'd have by now, when the breakthrough just hadn't shown up when the kid hasn't come home yet, when the when the problem is still there and you're still up against that thing, sometimes you need to look back so that you can have the right lens to look ahead. And I think Abraham would say, listen, I had to remember that God had brought me out of the place of my forefathers and into a place that we call the promised land. But if you've ever been to that part of the world, there's nothing promising about it. There's like a tree, one tree, like every like, 12 miles, and it's just dirt and sand, and it's hot, like it's real hot. Like if you were going to send me to the promised land, I would think of a place was like an ocean, right, with a nice little mall, (laughs) strong Wi-Fi, so you don't have to, doesn't have to buffer when you're watching your programs. (laughs) He had none of that. We call it the promised land because God called it the promised land, but on paper, it looks like a punishment. He's in a tent on the backside of the desert. It wasn't a promise because the place was special. It was the promise because he listened to God and God made it special. And I think sometimes we get to looking around at our situation, wanting this promised land that doesn't exist. And so we're working our tails off to get a little bit bigger house and get a little bit nicer stuff and pile up a little bit more and a little bit more. And God's going, man, you were already in the promised land. It just looked like a tent in your eyes, but it was the place where you could spend the most time with me and be the most generous with your life. We're chasing a different promise. In Hebrews, continues, he says, all these people, they were still living by faith when they died. They didn't see it all come to pass. They did not receive the things promised, not all of them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They, heaven was their home. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. This isn't heaven, but there is one. And he has a promise for you. My prayer for you is that you would maybe beginning today, live with that eternal mindset, with a forever perspective. There are days where this, this thing is tough. Marriage, family, and raising kids. And, but this isn't home. Heaven is my home, and God has prepared a place not just for me, but for you. But practically to get there, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. It says it in this way, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we're surrounded, back to the verse where we started, such a huge crowd of witnesses, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And then, then, then he gives you the answer. This is how you do it. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Now I hear pastors sometimes preach and they'll, they'll take this verse and they'll say, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and that, that joy, that was you. <laughs> the Bible never says that. In fact, when he was going to the cross, he was like, is that like another thing that we could do? Is like another thing? The cross is like the only thing? Because if there's another way to do this, that would be amazing. I bruise easy. It seems painful. He said, if there's another way to do this, God, I would love for you. To, he said, take this cup from me. But He said, nevertheless, thy will be done. You see, in the modern version of Christianity, we like to flip the whole thing around. We'll say things like: if you had been the only person in the whole world, Jesus would have died just for you. Bible never says that. That's made up. In fact, he looked at the cross that was coming, he looked at the pain that was coming. He looked at sin getting heaped on top of him, every mistake that you and I would make from the beginning all the way to the end of our lives. He saw all of that coming and he said, God, if there's another way to do this, I would love it. Nevertheless, thy will be done. And when the Bible speaks of the joy that was set before him, it wasn't the joy of me and you, it was the joy of hearing his heavenly father say, well done, my son. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me say it to you like this. Jesus didn't die to save you from your sins. You're like, (gasps) Ethel, get your purse. That redneck boy's preaching heresy. (laughs) Make no mistake. Jesus' death, if you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, The Bible says your sins are forgiven, your past is forgiven, and your future is secure. So make no mistake, his death did pay for your sin. But in our perverted, Americanized version of Christianity, we take Jesus out of the center of the gospel and we put us in it. And if I'd been the only person in the whole world, Jesus, you'd have died just for me. That I was the joy you were thinking about to finish. Well, no, Jesus didn't die to save me from my sins. Jesus died because his daddy told him to. Jesus died out of obedience to the Father. And that obedience made a way for me and for you when there was no way. Jesus must stay at the center of this gospel message. Or it is not the gospel. But for some of you today, if you're honest, if you're really honest, you've either found yourself in a version of Christianity where you are set firmly in the center. And you serve just enough, you give just enough, you involve just enough, like to the point of like where it's just like a little inconvenient and then we kind of start to, to, to pull back, we back off because how could we? Or maybe for you today, you, you've never even gone that far. Maybe we even like the idea of Jesus as savior, but we reject the thought of him as Lord. And he has a way. he wants to make a way for you today. But the joy, the thing that's going to get you through the tough days, the thing that's going to get you through the moments where you're stressed and where you feel like God's being slow on a promise, is that heaven is our home. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in our future. And I'm going to keep my eyes on the one that finished well so that I can learn how to finish well. And today I wanna pray for you, and it would be very simple. Because it all goes back to Jesus. That it's this simple. Religion will complicate the mess out of things and we ruin everything. But the gospel is very much, it's just this simple. Simple as A, B, C. I have to acknowledge, God, there is sin in my life that is separating me from you. And I'm tired of walking around with that feeling of condemnation and guilt. And God, that's not from you. And I'm ready to step away from that. So, A, I acknowledge that sin. B, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you died for me so that I could live for you. I believe that your death paid for my sins. And it's time that I start living like a free man or a free woman. You know what's so sad for me sometimes? When I see people that are on their way to heaven and they're living every day like they're in hell. And I think the path out of that life is C. So I'm going to commit. To doing it your way. See I think. Christianity that I've never been able to understand. Is the kind that sits right there in the middle. See this either means everything. God I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do what you tell me to do. My life is yours. Take control. I give all of me over to all of you. It's either that. Or I believe. That it's nothing. But what it could never be is this thing in the middle that is built around convenience and comfort and three steps to a better you. Christianity, the kind that Jesus died for, says, I'm going to give like no one else. I'm going to live like no one else. I'm going to serve like no one else. Because I serve a God that made a way when there was no way. When my life was broken and I was dead in my sin, Jesus, you stepped into my situation and you made me whole again. And God, I am not the man that I used to be and I'm not the man I'm going to be. But every day your mercies are new and I'm going to take a step closer to you. God, I'm sorry for the days where I get up and I've made my life about me, but the joy that I'll set in front of me is knowing that Jesus, you finished well and heaven is my home. And so I will live my life like a thank you letter to heaven so that when I give and serve and love and accept and forgive, people would want to know you. And God, today I repent for the days Where I have lived my faith just somewhere in the middle. A, B, C. I give my life to you. Because you thought I was worth dying for. Heaven is my home. And I'm going to live with the end in mind. Because it all goes back in the box. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And so church, right there, just for a couple of moments, right there in your seat, would you be able to acknowledge it in this way? Jesus, I acknowledge the sin that's in my life. Jesus, I believe that you died for me so that I could live for you. I believe that you died to pay for my sins and I'm ready to step into new life with you. And today, in the best way I know how, God, I commit my life to you. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life. If that's you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not gonna bring you down front. I'm not gonna whisk you off to some double top secret prayer room somewhere, but right there in your seat, would you be willing as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just be willing right there on the count of three, I'm just gonna have you look up at me. And all you're saying in that moment is, pastor, pray with me, pray for me, because today I'm giving God all that I am. I don't like to bring you down front People say, oh, you better bring them down front, Pastor. If they're not going to make a stand in here for Jesus, they're not going to stand out there in the world. Well, you've only had the Holy Ghost now for 30 seconds. So, you're okay. But right there in your seat, could you just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And Pastor, Pastor, I'm jump-starting my witness today. And I want you to know that today... I'm making that decision with heads bowed and eyes closed. On the count of three, just look at me and I'm just gonna acknowledge that decision with you today in this room. Come on, one, two, three, all over the room. Yes, come on, yes, praise God. Come on, Josh, praise God. Yes, come on, yes, yes, sir. Come on, proud of you, yes, sir. Praise God for you, proud. Come on, yes, come on, man. Big things for you, buddy, big things. Come on. Yes. Yes. Come on. Praise God. Bless you, brother. Praise God for you. Come on. Yes. All over the room. Praise God. I see you in the back. Come on. We just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I see you, my friend. I see you. Praise God. Jesus, I give you my life. And we just pray it in the only way we know how. God, I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not who I'm going to be. I'm stepping into new life in you. And for every person in this room, would you have the boldness to pray this in this way? God, whatever you can do through a person, do it through me. Whatever you can do through a family, do it in my family. Whatever you can do in a church, would you pour it out on this place? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the lives that were impacted in this place. We bless your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Come on, celebrate. Listen, I'm so proud of every one of you. A lot of people in this room today said, Jesus, I'm making a stand for you because you made a stand for me. But for all of us today, would you do me a favor? When you came in, you got a connection card. If you'd pull that out real fast, real fast, then I'm gonna get you out of here. Man, we're a praying church. If there's a way that I could pray for you, I'd be honored to pray for you. And you can fill that card out and let us know how we can pray for you. In just a moment, those connection cards will come by. The connection boxes will come by and you can drop those in those buckets. But if you made that decision today to put Jesus first in your life, I think you need to take a couple of steps today. The first is to let us know on that connection card. Checking a box doesn't change your eternity. It just lets us know that you made that decision so that we can start to walk alongside of you. And then the second thing that I would tell you, I believe with all of my heart you need to do is you need to stick around for 30 minutes and go through Explore. Explore doesn't fix all your problems. It's not going to make it all like better and sunshine and puppy dogs. What Explore is about is just helping you now understand I've made the most important decision of my life, but now I need to take a step. I need to take a step into what God has for me. And I always believe... But his steps and his purpose are connected to the local church. Because I don't think that the God of perfect community made you to do life alone. So we want to invite you to stick around for Explore. It lasts 30 minutes, childcare is provided, and we'll feed you. Can't get much better than that. 30 more minutes where you don't have to go get your children. I mean, 30 more minutes where your children can continue to be blessed in kids' ministry. That's what I meant to say. And we'll tell you a little bit about who we are, why we're here, where we come from, and where we're going. But my favorite part, how you can be a part of it. And then for some of you today, you came prepared to return the tithe or give an offering. You know me, I'll never ask you to give. That's not my shtick. But I will unashamedly ask you to ask God what he would have you do. And then encourage you to be obedient in that. I'm going to pray our ushers will come and whether you give online or you use the text to give or however way you do that, I want to say thank you. Your generosity is making a huge impact in Palm Beach County. Let me pray. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message from Pastor Josh Monty. If your life has been impacted by today's message, we would love for you to share your story with us by emailing story at newsound.church. Join us again next week for another inspirational message from New Sound Church.